Today on the show, with the start of training camp now less than three weeks away, I unveil my final 53-man Seahawks roster projection. Any upsets, any curveballs? Do I have any of the undrafted free agents making it? Stick around and find out on this episode of Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a fun and safe 4th of July holiday. I did. Rested, refreshed. And now we are almost there. The Seahawks start training camp officially just 19 days from today as I record this. I have an exceptional guest list lined up between now and then. Stick around to the end of the show and I will unveil that. And the best way to not miss out on any of that is to subscribe to the channel on YouTube. Hit that like button also for the video. Best way to support the channel and subscribe to the audio version wherever you get your podcasts. Again, lots of cool guests coming up and I will name them all at the end of this show. But let's just get right to it, shall we? Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, let's get this fired up here and get my 53-man roster projection on the screen. There it is. Um, been going through this now for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, really, but I wanted to try and give it as much historical context as possible so that I could be as accurate as possible. And so I went back um, because their philosophy on roster construction, John Schneider, Pete Carroll, has changed over the years. I remember one year in particular, not too long ago, where they they began the 53-man roster um, the initial one that was released had seven wide receivers on it. And then there was obvi- obviously some, some changes that occurred over the first couple of weeks. And there are some strategic things that occur when they set the 53-man roster, the, the final one. And this year's going to be unique historically because there's only one cut. Remember, they changed that rule. It goes from 90 to 53 this year. And so in my mind, essentially what it does is it creates – another free agency tier right before the start of the season. So keep that in mind. I'm not, I'm not going to try to predict that here as I build this, this list for you. But when the initial 53-man roster is released, it's likely not going to be the same 53-man roster that they even go into week one with, certainly week two, because there are some things that happen as far as releasing veterans and if they're on the roster week one, then they're fully vested, those kinds of things. But based on the 90-man roster the Seahawks currently carry going into training camp, based on everything that we've seen, heard, had reported, talked to Bob Condota and some other people on this show right here, Corbin Smith, the consensus, some thoughts, and some gut feelings on my part and also looking at what they've done in the past, I've come up with what I think will be the opening day 53-man roster. And the first thing that I did, and we'll just start right at the top, and we'll go left to right, top to bottom here if you're watching it on the screen, is went back to last year's roster and uh, for the positional breakdown. Wanted to be as accurate as possible in how many players they kept at each position group. Start at quarterback because it's the easiest one on the roster, right? Actually, these first two are the easiest. Geno Smith, Drew Locke. There's, there's nothing else going on there. No one's going to unseat either of those guys. They've got Holton Ehlers, 
as an undrafted guy that might make the practice squad, although I I don't know how impressed I am with him on tape. Threw for a million yards in college. Um, but he just has a really long release, and I'm not sure he's a real natural passer. Um, I, I think there's an opportunity there before the beginning of the season uh, that another guy might be the guy in the practice squad. But there's no question who the two quarterbacks are. We just saw a video on Twitter and on social media a couple of days ago about the two of them working out together in Florida. Pretty cool. So quarterback is set, right? There's no competition there. That That's probably the biggest difference between this year's training camp and last year's. Running back, I think it's very similar. There have been times where they've kept five, but last year they only kept four to start the season. And those four are Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet, DJ Dallas, and Kenny McIntosh. Uh, in my mind, one of the one of the most dynamic young running back rooms in the league. Deep, versatile, they can all contribute. I think it's an upgrade over what we saw with Dallas and Homer being at the bottom of the depth chart. If there is a fifth spot for some reason, if they like this guy enough that they want to keep him and they, they don't want to risk losing him on waivers before he gets to the practice squad, Brian Kobach is really intriguing, the former Viking uh, six foot, 210 pounds, really, really athletic, had a prolific career at Toledo, ran for over 4,000 yards, averaged almost nine yards or six yards per carry, excuse me, at Toledo. 45 rushing touchdowns in his career there. Also caught 66 passes, seven touchdowns there. Really fits the mold of what the Seahawks are looking for. And if Kenny McIntosh hadn't been there in the seventh round, and, and if they didn't like him as much as they do, he might have a legitimate chance to make this roster. As it is right now, they're probably hoping they can get him on the practice squad. They always carry one or two running backs on the practice squad. But he fits that Seahawk mold and can contribute. If there's an injury in training camp, Brian Kobach will be right there. But for my initial 53, it's just those top four that I've got making it. At wide receiver. Again, I, as I've said before, they've kept as many as seven. They have routinely kept six. Last year, they only kept five. And, I, and that's the direction I'm going here. And I think in part because of the depth at tight end and running back with guys that can contribute in the passing game. So DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, obviously are locks. Those are your starters. D. Eskridge. We've heard nothing but good things about how he's come back healthy this offseason, OTAs, minicamp, how he's contributed. Tyler Lockett went out of his way to praise him and his, his work ethic and how explosive he has looked. They drafted him in the second round for a reason. It was right after they hired Shane Waldron. I think they saw him as that jet sweep kind of gadget guy that the that works so well in that Rams offense. I think I, I think his, his spot is safe, as is Dariq Young's. We saw at the end of last year how they were using him. Very creative, even using him as a fullback out of the backfield, not just a guy who lines up at fullback and then goes into motion, but a guy that was blocking, lead blocking. Kind of, I, I mentioned on the show, kind of saw him as a almost a Corderell Patterson clone, guy that can help in the passing game, but also be that gadget player. I think those are your five. If there's going to be a sixth or if any of those guys get hurt or just don't show up and perform in camp, we know how much the team likes Cody Thompson. He's been around for a couple of years now. He had an outstanding training camp last year, was set to make the 53-man roster and then got hurt, missed the entire season. He's back. He was the first guy the Seahawks secured this offseason uh, to a futures contract. 
And then there's Cade Johnson kind of on the outside looking in, but they had a lot of confidence in him at the end of last season, the former undrafted free agent out of South Dakota State. He played in the last two games of the year last year for the Seahawks, caught two passes in the season finale, caught three balls for 39 yards in the playoff game. The wild card lost to the 49ers. So they trust him. So if they keep six, there's an opportunity for one of those guys. And then I've got Aesop Winston uh, Jr. listed there, not just because he's a Coug, um, but because I've always liked his route running, like his ability to catch in traffic. He's done some things in the return game. The Seahawks have used him there a little bit in OTAs. He might give him a little bit of versatility as a, as a dark horse candidate. But those five are all I've got making on my final projection. I know I've got six there in parentheses. I just uh, failed to update that if you're looking at the, the spreadsheet on, on screen. Tight end's another one where the locks are in. Will Disley, Noah Fant, Colby Parkinson, Tyler Mabry's been on the roster the last couple of years, caught his first NFL touchdown last year. They're not going to keep four tight ends. This would only be in case of an injury. I really like the potential of Noah Gindorf, but he's a practice squad guy. And actually the most intriguing thing about him, he's got the size and length that catches your eye, 6'6", 265, but not known as an outstanding athlete, not known as a natural pass catcher. On NFL.com, if you go and look at his draft profile, which I believe was put together uh, by uh, Lance Zerline, said that some teams think he's such an outstanding and willing blocker, kind of in that Will Disley mode when he was coming out of UW, that some teams think you put 30 pounds on him, a la Noah, or, uh, George Fant from years past, and make him an offensive tackle. Um, but really no chance to make the 53, so Disley, Fant, Parkinson there. Offensive line, also. I, I just, I really don't see any upsets happening on offense. We've talked during the offseason about some of the intriguing receiver candidates, and Kobach is intriguing as a running back. But none of those guys really have a chance to unseat any of these other players we're talking about and win a spot on the offense. And the offensive line is a good example of that as well. Tackles, guard, center, they kept a total of nine last year. I've got it broken down. Four tackles, three guards, two centers. There's a lot of versatility this year as well, something they lacked in years past. So the tackles, obviously, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, last year's draft picks. Stone Forsyth, Jake Curran are the other two. They like Greg Island. He's a big part of that group, does all the stuff in the offseason with him. But I just don't, I, I think Curran's more versatile. We've seen what he can do. Um, he can play guard. He can play both tackle spots. I think his spot is safe. Guard, Damian Lewis, Phil Haynes, Anthony Bradford. This year's fourth-round pick or fifth-round pick. Um, a lot of people, there's a lot of momentum for Bradford potentially starting, but remember what Sanjit T, who does all that film study, uh, said on this show how much he likes Phil Haynes and, and what we've seen from Phil Haynes in the past. So four tackles, three guards, and then the two centers, Evan Brown, Olu Oluwatimi, They've never kept a third center on a regular basis. They like Joey Hunt. They keep talking about him. There's, there's no chance that he'll get claimed by another team on that initial cutdown. In my opinion, he'll end up on the practice squad. He'll still be around. The only question there is, who's going to start? Is Oluwatimi going to beat out Evan Brown? If so, Brown really becomes that super sub. He can play center, play guard, play them both well. So those are your nine. On defense, different story. 
there are some questions here. There are some jobs to be won, some jobs to be lost. There are some injury question marks. We'll start at defensive line. And last year, they kept a total of seven between defensive tackle and defensive end. Because remember, especially in this scheme, the way they've tweaked it in recent years, a lot of those guys play inside and out. But they kept a total of seven last year between defensive tackle and defensive end, however you want to look at these guys or characterize these guys. Defensive tackle. We've got Brian Monet going to start the season on the pup list. Pete Carroll did not sound optimistic about his ability to be ready early in the season, if at all, this year. Miles Adams, Cameron Young, the fourth-round pick out of Mississippi State, and Austin Fiolu, the former Seattle Sea Dragon, first-team XFL player, former Oregon Duck. You heard Bob Condota on this show last month talk about how much the team likes him. He's got the size. He can play inside and outside. He can play nose tackle. And he can play stand-up defensive end in that three-ish, four-ish scheme. Those are your three. If there is a guy that might crack the roster, Corbin Smith talked about him on the show last month, Jonah Tavai, the severely undersized nose tackle out of San Diego State, but incredibly productive in college, and in particular rushing the passer. Uh, depending on what they do, you know, there's enough depth and talent in the secondary. Maybe they, they borrow a spot from there. We'll get to that in a minute. If they want to keep Tavai on the roster and they think he'll get claimed before he gets to the practice squad, just because he can be such a unique, different tool in their toolbox. Defensive end, Draymond Jones. Obviously, the marquee free agent signing from the offseason, Jaron Reed, the former Seahawks second rounder, brought back in free agency this year. Mike Morris, the fifth-round pick out of Michigan, and Mario Edwards Jr. signed this year, most recently with Tennessee. Just a really solid pro. We've talked about him. Pete Carroll has talked about how much they're counting on him. Those are your seven defensive line. Now, this is the area and we've we've noted it over and over and over again this offseason. Where if the Seahawks are going to go out and get someone before week 1, either either by trading from strength or trading a future draft pick or grabbing a guy and we talked about nose tackle specifically a few episodes ago about some guys that might be on the edge of their rosters that could be an upgrade and give the Seahawks something to lean on there at defensive tackle and get some help on that cut from 90 to 53. This is where they would likely do it. But I'm not predicting that. You know, I thought about it at defensive tackle or nose tackle, putting instead of Fiolu as a lock, putting unknown, John Doe. John Doe, the nose tackle. Um, but I didn't. I'm just going on a, what is on their 90-man roster right now, and those would be the seven. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Linebacker gets similarly interesting. Last year, they kept a combination of eight between outside linebacker and inside linebacker. And this is the one where some of you, when you look at inside linebacker in particular, might see the list and kind of cringe when you see it in black and white, right? Let's start with the outside linebackers first. Uchenna Nuosu, Daryl Taylor, Boye Mafe, Derek Hall, Tyreek Smith. Lots of draft capital invested there. And then Nuosu, the free agent signing last year. 
Alton Robinson, it, it if Pete Carroll was pessimistic about Brian Monet, he was doubly pessimistic about Alton Robinson. It sounds like it's going to be a struggle for him to play football again, let alone be ready to play for the Seahawks this year. So I'm counting him out. I'm counting Tyreek Smith in. I've talked about him multiple times. Fifth-round draft pick last year out of Ohio State. Hurt his shoulder. Spent the entire year on injured reserve. The Seahawks really, really like him. He fits the mold physically, athletically, makeup and character-wise, motor-wise. Carroll said at the last minicamp press conference that he is 100% healthy. He's doing everything. So they're going to finally get a real good look at him. Pete has said over and over again, you cannot have too many pass rushers. And it would really behoove them to keep a young guy like Smith if they think that, that the ceiling is there, that upside is there, to be a regular contributor in the future. Because while we all think that Nuosu could get an extension before camp this year, we would all like to see it. He's in the last year of his deal. It hasn't happened yet. Daryl Taylor in the last year of his deal. Are they interested in extending him? I think he's one of the question marks heading into camp. Which Daryl Taylor are we going to get? But then you invest a second-round pick in Boye Mafe last year, a second-round pick this year in Derek Hall. If Tyreek Smith can be a guy, then keeping him on the roster, protecting him from getting claimed from someone else who sees upside makes a lot of sense to me. Then you look at inside linebacker, and this is where I think some of you are going to be wringing your hands. Bobby Wagner, Devin Bush, and I've got John Radigan making the team. They invested in him over and over, kept him coming back. Brought him back from an ACL injury. Were patient with him, really took, took their time. Signed him to a tender. I think they like John Radigan. He's great on special teams, but the way Pete talks about him, he talks about him like a guy that can contribute. And I think they want to see that. Um, but also keep this in mind. Then I've got Vi Jones listed there. And Pete said this offseason, Vi Jones has added weight. He's up 235 now that they see him as a guy who's strictly an inside linebacker now. And then Jordan Brooks. And as optimistic as Pete has been that Brooks thinks he's going to be back for the beginning of the regular season, that would be almost record time to come back from an ACL injury, especially playing that position that relies so much on lateral quickness and stop-start, putting so much stress on that knee. So I'm not counting on Jordan Brooks. I think he starts the season on the pup list. And if you're freaking out about three inside linebackers, hey, remember, Nick Ballore's on the team. He's going to make the roster. He can play linebacker in a pinch. But also, the need to have two of these guys on the field at all times just isn't there anymore. That nickel scheme that the Seahawks play now, which relies more heavily on safeties playing outside linebacker and even inside linebacker in some cases, where Bobby Wagner will be the only inside linebacker on the field. Similar to the scheme he played last year in L.A., played it well, obviously, well enough for the team to bring him back. So I'm not as worried about the numbers there as maybe some of the rest of you are. I also don't think it's a position you pick a guy up off the waiver wire right before week one because he's he, to get him up to speed in order to play that quickly would be tough. You know, Carol talks about how the nose tackle position in particular, you can do that with a guy because it's a pretty simple scheme. You can get a guy ready to play in a week. Not so much an inside linebacker. I think they would just as soon 
stick with one of their guys. So those are the eight I've got there. Nuosu, Taylor, Moffe, Hall, Smith on outside. Wagner, Bush, Radigan on the inside. It's a chance Vi Jones could really pop, although he finished minicamp uh, with a bit of an injury. But again, I think Radigan is a guy that they've just really liked, and this is his best opportunity to make the roster. Then we go to the secondary. Last year, they kept six cornerbacks. I was surprised to see that number. I was leaning five, and it was going to give me some flexibility. And I was probably going to use that flexibility to add Tavai to the 53-man roster just to kind of keep him, because I think he's so interesting. But they kept six last year, so I stuck to that. So it's obviously Tariq Woolen, Mike Jackson, Devin Witherspoon, the first-round pick. Trey Brown, Kobe Bryant. And then I got Artie Burns making the team. There's an opportunity there for a couple undrafted guys. But Burns was brought back for a reason. They say he would have been brought back and, and that that was in the works even before Tariq Woolen hurt his knee and had to have minor surgery this offseason, although, although the timing of it made it look like one was related to the other. But Burns is a veteran who's still only 27 years old. He's familiar with the scheme, can play both sides. He just makes a lot of sense to keep on the roster. At safety, though, there may be one of the only real legitimate end-of-the-roster training camp battles that we'll see. First of all, obviously, Quandre Diggs, Jamal Adams, if he comes back healthy. And I've, look, I've got him as, as an injury designation. I'm going to be optimistic on this one. I think he's healthy week one and active and ready to play. If not, obviously, it brings this next name we're going to talk about, or one of these next names, into play. Then Julian Love, the free agent signing. Jarek Reed, the second out of New Mexico. Six-round draft pick this year. I think they love him on special teams. And they see him as a guy that can play free safety and in the slot and contribute as a rookie. And then Joey Blunt, who was hurt during a lot of OTAs, made the team as an undrafted free agent last year. And then this other, Jonathan Sutherland is getting a lot of buzz. The safety slash linebacker, some people refer to him as, even though he's only 5'11", 198, out of Penn State. Because he got some first-team reps late in camp. Remember, Blunt was hurt. Adams wasn't there. But the fact that he got some first-team reps has people talking and thinking. But don't forget about Joey Blunt. Let me just remind you. First of all, Joey Blunt is a terror on special teams. We know that. We've seen that. But he was an incredibly productive player at Virginia. He played over 50 games in his college career. We know how much the Seahawks value that. 303 tackles, 19 and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks, nine interceptions, three forced fumbles, 12 deflections. He's bigger than Sutherland. He's much faster. Runs a 4-4-40. Sutherland clocked a 4-6. That is pro day. Just don't forget about Joey Blunt. Look, if Jamal Adams isn't ready to go, then that creates an opening for Sutherland. But unless Blunt's hurt or Sutherland just clearly outplays him on the field, I've got Joey Blunt making the team. So that's 11 in the secondary. And then my specialists, and I actually have four listed here because I put Nick Bloor in this category. I don't see the point in listing him as a run, running back or a linebacker because he's only going to play in those situations in an emergency. He's a special teams guy. And then Jason Myers, Michael Dixon, Chris Stoll, the only long snapper in Kant, uh, the undrafted free agent, I think out of Penn State, if I'm not mistaken. 
So those are your 53. What are your thoughts? Overall, I think this is the deepest, I've used this term before, most layered, young, dynamic roster we've seen since 2012, 2013. That you look at every position group now and you see guys you can build around. And I like it. There aren't as many surprises this year, right? There's usually a couple training camp surprises. I don't have any undrafted free agents making this roster. Again, I was going to put Tavai in there if they only keep five cornerbacks, and they might do that. You could bring Artie Burns as, as one of your veteran spots back on the practice squad if you wanted to. But I just, I just don't see it. I think this team is built to win. They expect to win. That early season schedule allows them opportunities to win. I just don't think there are any guys out of this undrafted free agent class that they're going to feel compelled to have to protect because they don't want to lose them. It's not a knock on this undrafted class. It's an endorsement of what they've done in the draft in the last few years that they have so many draft picks out of the last two drafts and really three drafts on this roster. And when you start to look ahead, and we're going to do this at some point before the start of the season, we're going to take a three-year projection and look at how the roster is lined up for 24, 25, 26. Um, but I think there's a lot of things to get excited about. And I, and I think particularly because there's so many young guys and they're going to want to get snaps for those, as opposed to past preseasons where we've looked at some of the battles, I don't think that's going to be the focus of this training camp and preseason schedule. It's just going to be seeing these guys produce and seeing them develop. Are the draft picks ready? Is Cam Young ready to play significant snaps at nose tackle? And then we'll have those conversations. If we get to week two and it looks like they're a little overwhelmed at that spot, that Miles Adams, Cam Young, and Austin Fiolu at nose tackle is not going to work, then we might see some movement. And those are the kinds of things that we'll talk about when that happens. I told you I had some really cool guests coming up over the next few weeks, just trying to get different voices on here, different opinions, different perspectives as we head into training camp. Uh, Brandon Schultz and Dana O'Gorman, my old friends from the Field Goals podcast, are going to be joining me. We'll do a uh, kind of a roundtable. We'll get the band back together and get uh, I'll get their thoughts on how they feel about this roster heading into camp and see if they have any differences of opinion with me on my roster. Bill Alvstad and Keith Myers of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. This has become an annual tradition. We'll get together and do a training camp preview, although it will not be anywhere near as long as the one we did in 2016, I believe it was. No, 2018, that three-hour show. We will not be doing that. Uh, I'll get Corbin Smith back on the show before training camp opens, obviously. A uh, regular contributor to the show from uh, Locked on Seahawks Podcast and All Seahawks. Uh, Brandon Kane of the Hawks Nest YouTube channel and podcast had a request to get him on. So I reached out to him and he and I'll be working out our schedules. He'll be on soon. And then I'm really excited about this one. My old friend. And when I mean old friend, I mean from 30 years ago, this guy was my first mentor in television. I actually succeeded him 
uh, as sports director at KEPR in Pasco many, many years ago. He has gone on to do some really incredible things in broadcasting. On a national level, he hosts a show on Sirius XM. You uh, probably heard him for years. He, he was uh, one of the hosts on ESPN All Night. He's now the program director of WFNZ in Charlotte, North Carolina. He'll be able to give us a national perspective on an unbiased perspective on how the Seahawks are perceived heading into the season and also uh, talk a little bit about their matchup with Carolina in uh, week two. So that's coming up on the show. Thank you again for listening. As always, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and uh, we'll see you soon. I'm Dan Vienz. This is Seahawks Forever. As always, forever and always, go Hawks. Oh, 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 oh,